Thank you, Elder John, for praying on our behalf. Today's scripture passage comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 7 to 15. Let's read aloud together in one voice. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This past month, we have been journeying through Lord's Prayer. We had a sermon series on prayer called, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, We have so much more to learn from the Lord's Prayer. It would, again, it's a very simple prayer, but it would take a lifetime to really understand the significance and the power of that prayer. Uh, Today, we come to our final message on the Lord's Prayer for now, and next week, we'll begin a new sermon series Uh, in 1 Corinthians. Now, when we look at the Lord's Prayer carefully, there is one petition that sticks out from its page. Uh, Do you know what it is? Which one is it? A hint? Can we have the slide, the first slide? This petition stands out because it gives us a clause with a condition for the prayer to be answered. No other petition has a conditional clause, but this one does. This one demands us to do something even as we pray. We don't just pray, we are to put this into action. Not only that, this petition is singled out at the end of the Lord's Prayer we just read with further comments and explanation. Which one is it? I want you to think with me. Yeah, it's the petition for forgiveness. Can we see the next slide, please? I highlighted for you in yellow. You can see how the fifth petition, forgive us our debts, is followed by as we. So uh, there's only one we, which is emphasized there, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus, after finishing teaching uh, the six petitions, how we are to pray, he has a comment. He doesn't talk about the kingdom of God or the will of God or the glory of God, but he talks about, he explains about forgiveness. It's quite significant that Jesus does that. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your your father will forgive your trespasses. Daryl Johnson, in his book on Lord's Prayer, says, this is the most arresting and disturbing comment or teaching that Jesus has made. Basically, Jesus is saying, 
You can pray all you want, but if you are praying with unforgiving heart, then your prayer will not be answered. And this is pretty serious and shocking. You will not be forgiven if you do not forgive. Your prayers will not be heard unless you forgive. Again, this is an important teaching in the context of prayer and discipleship that we must and we need to spend today thinking about and learning about what it means to pray for forgiveness even as we extend forgiveness because a willingness to forgive is a test of whether or not you are a true Christian or not, or even whether or not you will actually go to heaven when you die. I mean, this is a serious matter. Again, the Lord's Prayer is given to us in the context of discipleship, and so Jesus is not just teaching about prayer, but he's also teaching about how to live as Christians and what it means to follow Jesus as men and women of prayer. So today's message is about praying for forgiveness, but not just praying for forgiveness, but praying for forgiveness as ones who have been forgiven and are forgiving. Those two things together. So first point, we are to pray for forgiveness. Verse 12a, the first part, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. And we are to pray that prayer of repentance daily and regularly, individually, but also corporately. And so whenever we have a congregational prayer, even today, as Elder John M. prayed on our behalf, he had a portion in his prayer, a prayer of confession and repentance. Whenever we pray and we are able to pray this prayer of repentance, it, it does something in our souls that liberates us and frees us. Repentance is a gift. It's not something that we must do. Yes, we must, but we want to do and we get to do. And we pray this prayer of repentance because of the relational need. And, and we pray for the bread, which is for our physical material need. And Jesus knows our need. And we pray for protect us from the evil one, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. That's our spiritual need. But right in between the physical material and the spiritual need, we have the relational, the moral need of forgiveness. Because we have sin problem. We cannot avoid that. We have sin problem in our relationship with God and relationship with one another. So we need to be forgiven by God we need to be forgiving one another. We need to give and receive forgiveness on a regular basis. Again, forgiveness and repentance is a gift. One of the greatest gifts we can have and we have from God. In fact, Christian life is to be marked with repentance. Martin Luther said, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believer to be one of repentance. 
we begin our journey with Christ. We start following Jesus by repenting and believing in Him, and we continue on following Jesus with life of repentance, and we end our life in repentance and faith in Jesus. Repentance is a pattern and posture of Christian life. Again, we cannot deal with our problem of sin through therapy. Counseling is helpful. Therapy is sometimes needed. But for the sin problem, we need to deal head-on through repentance. And we need to be forgiven. And the question this morning is, is your life marked with regular repentance? Not when you first believed in Jesus, but today and every day. Again, even as we were singing the last song this morning, and thank you, praise team, again, every Sunday, week in and week out, ministering to us and leading us to worship God, and the song that we, we sang about, Teach Us, Lord. And uh, we are gathered this morning to be taught in this particular time from the Word of God through Lord's Prayer. And I was being ministered. And I, as we were singing, I was repenting. I, again, like I, I shared a couple weeks ago, as, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, the first petition, hallowed be your name, that petition can actually lead us to repentance. I mean, I do that regularly because I come to recognize, Lord, Father, you are so glorious, you are so good, and your name and your fame and your glory is to extend in and through my life and over all the world and yet I failed to glorify you in so many ways. And I, can, I cannot go over the details now, but that's a regular practice of my life, and it ought to mark regular practice of your life and our life as a church. We repent and pray for forgiveness because we have obligation to God that we have failed to keep. God is our creator, and we are his creatures. God is our master, and we are his servants. This is the Father's world, not my world or our world. This is God's world. And God has given us mandates, and we are given obligations to keep and do as his creatures, as his people. You can distill the Old Testament 600-something commandments into two commands, which Jesus does for us in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. God demands our total loyalty and obedience and love. And we are to love one another out of love for God and extend that love to our neighbors. There are various obligations in human relationships. When we enter into a marriage, we have obligations to one another. At a wedding day, a husband-to-be and a wife-to-be confess and oblige themselves with this. I, the husband or wife, take you to be my beloved wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love 
and to cherish as long as we both shall live. We enter into this obligation, a wedlock, a commitment, a covenant relationship where husband is to love and sacrifice for his wife, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, richer or poor. The wife is to love and respect and obey the husband, for better or for worse. There are obligations in the family between parents and children. The parents are to provide and care for the children, to teach and to disciple children at home. The children are to obey and honor, listen, respect their parents. There are obligations in workplaces. Bosses are not to exploit workers or employees, but treat the employees with dignity and fairness. The workers, the employees, are not to shirk or misuse work hours, to do their own thing, but to work with diligence. There are obligations in church community. Both Old Testament and New Testament talks about how the leaders are to lead with diligence, passion, and also to pray without ceasing. 1 Samuel 12, 23, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. So when I fail to pray or do not pray, I get lazy to pray for you, the congregation, the members of New Hope. And as leaders, as we fail to pray, uh, we are failing to keep that obligation. And the members are to submit, to pray, and support the leaders and work together for God's kingdom, for God's glory. Now, when we fail to keep the obligations to one another, we don't just owe the person or the organization or the community, but we owe God. Again, this is God's world. God has given the command. That's why David, after committing adultery and murder, prays in Psalm 51. He doesn't just confess his sins to Bathsheba and her husband about the misdeeds that he committed. He prays, for I know my transgressions, my sins. My sin is ever before me, and David prays, against you, and you only is emphasized. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? Again, the magnitude of our sin before God and to God, even in our horizontal human relationship, is so great before God that David, even though he committed sin against people, says, against you, you only, have I sinned. Yes, we hurt people, but we hurt God more. In our sin, we dishonor God. We disglorify God because we did not obey God. The, the gravity, the weight of sin must be felt. Sin is like debt. That's the language that Jesus uses. Not trespasses, but debt. It's a debt we accumulate toward God. When we fail to honor God, when He ought to be honored, we become indebted to God. When we fail to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we become indebted to God. When we fail to obey God, His Word, we are indebted to Him. And as ones who are forgiven, saved by His grace, as, as we have already entered into be part of God's kingdom, we have obligations from God. God has Word 
for us to take heed and to obey. Matthew 5, 21, just before the Lord's Prayer, these are some of the words that we can see. What's demanded, what's obligated to us. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We think getting angry and swearing here and there, especially who cut off lines in front of us, we cuss and we think it's okay. We've normalized sin. We have therapeutized the problems to keep those things at bay, but because we, have, we are moral beings creating God's image, those things, those wrong things will give us pressure within us. We cannot get rid of it. It's wrong to get angry. It's wrong to insult. It's wrong. It's sinful to swear. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust or lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, the obligation that we have before God and with God is not just about our doing, but what happens in our hearts. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not eye for an eye anymore. You are to actually give what you have to those who hurt you, the, the enemies of your heart. You are to pray for them. My goodness. How many of you, how many of us can say, well, easy. Anger issue, lust issue, loving the enemy issue. I don't have a problem. How many of you can honestly say, I have fulfilled those obligations, and I could go on and on. There are sins of commission and omission. We are indebted to God for what we have done, but also what we have left undone. And it does not excuse us that we didn't know about it. When we come to realize all the sins of commission and omission, we feel this heavy weight of debt we owe to God. And the debt we owe is insurmountable. It's overwhelmingly big. And if we are honest to ourselves, again, not try to normalize sin, but accept the reality as is before the holy God, we will feel helpless and hopeless. This is too much. One theologian says, all of us, have a great mortgage upon our lives. A big mortgage. And you come to realize, I can never pay off this mortgage. We have accumulated so much debt that you are bankrupt. It's impossible to pay it off. 
and you live under this weight of debt. And the question is, do you know that you're not only obligated, but indebted to God because of the moral and relational obligation that we have that hasn't been met? And in our hopelessness and helplessness, we see that in in the Scripture, the only thing you and I can do is not try to pay it off, but to plead with God for mercy. We'll see that in Matthew 18, the parable of the, the wicked servant who receives the forgiveness of the debt that he owed that was insurmountable. It's, it's too much. The only thing he could do is to plead with the king, the master, have mercy on me. The only thing we can do is to humble ourselves for God's mercy. That's really all we can do. And the good news is, when we are so weighed down, burdened by, and even devastated by our sin, the debt to God, Jesus comes and pays off our debt that we could never have paid in our lifetime. The good news is that God ransoms our soul through Christ. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came to give His life as ransom for many. Colossians 2, and you who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling, not tolerating, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 1 Peter 1, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. God does not and cannot tolerate sin or debt. God cannot do that because God is just. But he's also God of mercy. So he forgives. But his forgiveness is not without a cost. It is very costly. Say you come to my house and you brought your whole family and your kids and we're talking and we didn't know that uh, your child was playing with my wife's cello, her precious the little boy found a hammer, a toolbox, and a hammer, happens to be watching Bob the Bitter, Builder, and smashes the cello without our knowing to pieces. And uh, we hear something, and we go, and we are shocked. Oh my goodness, this cannot happen. It's irrecoverable. It's, it's broken. There's no way to put the cello back together, and it's basically priced. I don't even know how much my wife's cello costs. It's, it's a lot of money, thousands of thousands of dollars. Probably, 
your family's done with our family. <laughs> that's, that's how much it's, it's, it's devastating. <clears throat> there are only two ways to pay for that cello. You pay a huge sum of money. Probably you will never be able to pay off that debt in your life. Or my wife will be merciful and forgives. Choose to forgive. You don't have to pay anything. She says, I I forgive you. And you can go on your way. And we'll still be friends. Again, it's not an easy resolution if my wife chooses to do that because it's, it's her precious. It's very costly. She will lose a lot of sleep over that and a lot of money. When Jesus paid for our debt, it was very costly. Elder John prayed, Jesus was willing to be cut off from the perfect and permanent eternal relationship that he had with the Father to give us or to pay for us. It costed his very life and the very relationship that he enjoyed forever, eternally with the Father. It costed the Father so much, one and only Son, to pay for our sins. It was very, very costly. What's amazing is the one who teaches us to pray this prayer of forgiveness is the one who takes the debt upon himself and pays it full. Paid in full. I mean, this this is the most liberating news you could ever hear. Let it sink in your heart. If you are struggling with a sense of guilt and shame and know that, brothers and sisters, actually having that sense of guilt and shame is a gift of God. You should feel shame and guilt if you have sinned. Just as if you touch something hot, you should feel hot and you should go like this, right? And your skin would have been burnt and you have to go through a healing process. Again, we have been creating God's image And God has given us what is right, what is wrong, through His Word. And when we cross the line, when we are indebted to Him, it's normal. We should feel guilty and shame. But after that, we don't stay there. We don't try to cover it up. Blessed are those whose sins are covered, not by your effort, but by God. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven by God. One who covers our sins by the precious blood of Jesus. That is the good news. Whenever we pray, whenever we call God our Father, we are reminded of that. We were once His enemies, and yet we are able to sit at His table, welcomed as beloved sons and daughters. What an amazing grace. If we know that truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will live in both brokenness and Gratitude. Again, that's the pattern and the posture of Christian life. Life of repentance is marked by the heart of brokenness and deep, deep gratitude. 
brokenness because we've sinned and we've broken God's heart and Jesus was broken because of us. Gratitude because Jesus was willing to die for us. We are fully loved by him. He gave himself up for us because he loved us while we were yet sinners. We praise God for the gospel, for Jesus, for the gift of forgiveness. And so we celebrate the gospel, we, we celebrate Jesus, we thank God. And even as we pray for forgiveness, we pray as ones who have been forgiven. We pray with the assurance of forgiveness. What a gift. That, that is the greatest gift that we have as Christians. We can start afresh every day through prayer of repentance. But then we come to the second part of the prayer, and that is we pray for forgiveness, not as just ones who have been forgiven, but ones who are forgiving. Let's look at verse 12 again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then verse 14 and 15 again, Jesus makes a commentary. He explains further. Now, what does this mean, as we forgive our debtors? If you look at the Greek text, we is actually emphasized. It's very intentional. Jesus wants to make sure that we put the practice of forgiveness into action. And just to make sure again, he puts two more verses. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive. But if you don't, your sins won't be forgiven either. We must do the forgiveness. This phrase does not, again, mean reconciliation. Let me, let me clarify this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is something that you can do in your heart. Jesus says, forgive in your heart, apart from the contact with the offender. Forgiveness is one way. So it is possible to even forgive someone who is no longer alive or someone who no longer can see you or you cannot see him or her. But reconciliation is a two-way stream. It involves process. It, it could involve a very long and complex process. And reconciliation is not guaranteed because, it's, again, it's two ways. Depending on the depth of sin, the hurt, it could take a long time. And you may not even be able to experience the full reconciliation on this side of heaven. Jesus says, or Paul says in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, be reconciled. But then the reconciliation cannot or does not, is not guaranteed. But forgiveness, again, is rather something you are called to do as one who is forgiven. Again, this phrase does not mean that you earn forgiveness by forgiving other people. You have to get the order right. We extend forgiveness because we have been forgiven. We don't forgive to receive forgiveness. We don't earn forgiveness by forgiving others. So then, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? What's the significance of this prayer and the discipleship, the teaching? Why is it that we must forgive to be forgiven? We see a spiritual principle here. A vertical relationship determines 
horizontal relationship. Horizontal relationship reveals vertical relationship. Let me, let me repeat, repeat that. It's a spiritual principle. Vertical relationship with God determines, leads to horizontal relationship. Now, horizontal relationship reveals what kind of vertical relationship we have with God. So to unpack in the context of forgiveness, in the topic of forgiveness, forgiveness or forgiving others reveals your heart and your faith. What's going on in your heart when you choose to not forgive is revealing. You're basically saying, I don't want to be merciful. That person who hurt me needs justice, not mercy. That person must go on in her or his misery until the debt is paid. And we must ask ourselves, is that heart compatible with the heart that I just shared about one whose heart is repentant, broken, and grateful for what God has done? It's it's pretty obvious it is incompatible. You cannot separate the experience of your forgiveness from God and extension of forgiveness to others. You cannot separate the two. It's like the two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. That's what Jesus is saying. God expects forgiven people to forgive. Another way of saying is only forgiving are forgiven. Not to, again, not to earn forgiveness, but it reveals, it shows, it proves. So John Stott says, this prayer is teaching that God forgives only those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and the chief evidence of true contrite heart is a forgiving spirit. If you are quick to forgive, it reveals your heart. What kind of, what kind of relationship you have with God? Most likely you are living under the shadow of the cross with a humble and contrite heart. If you keep resentment and bitterness over a long haul, you cannot have a right relationship with God. Again, Jesus knows your heart, knows our soul. He's the master physician of the soul, and he loves you and cares for you and me. Jesus is trying to teach us. You don't need to, and you shouldn't, and you must not live in bitterness and resentment because you're not just imprisoning that person who hurt you. You're, you're being imprisoned yourself. You need to release him and yourself and, and have the right relationship with God. That's why one pastor says, unforgiving Christian is a hypocrite. 1 John 4, 19 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's why as much as, again, we may need a therapy, if you're not forgiving, you need to repent. You need to deal with it with God. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18, one who owes a master 10,000 talent. That's a lot of money. One talent is a 20-year worth of a day laborer's wage. 
So if you have five talents, you are multi-millionaire back then. Now, if you owe 10,000 talent, that's a large sum of money. Basically, it requires 200,000 years of work. Again, impossible. That's, it's hyperbole. Jesus is trying to make a point. This is an insurmountable debt that it's impossible to pay it off. Even if you involve all your friends and families to pay it off, it's impossible. So the only thing he does, he can do, is to fall on his knees and beg to be forgiven for mercy to the king, the master. The king in the story has compassion, releases him and forgives him all the debt. All the debt is canceled. He experiences the gospel, an amazing grace. Then comes the second part of the story where the servant who goes out freed from all his debt sees a friend who owes him 100 denarii, which is about 10 day worth of day laborer's wage. That's about, let's say, 20,000. It's not a small amount, still a large, large sum, but compared to what he had owed, the billions and billions of dollars, it's quite insignificant. The servant who has experienced the freedom from debt by the mercy of the king chooses not to be merciful and puts his friend into prison and says, until you pay off your debt, you're not coming out. The fellow servants sees the, what's happening, tells the master and says, this is what's happening. What do we do? The king, the master, calls a servant who was forgiven and says this, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus finishes his lesson of forgiveness, which basically is reiterating what he teaches on the Lord's Prayer. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive you or forgive your brother from your heart. So the best test as to whether you have been forgiven by God is to check whether you are living a life of forgiveness, whether you have a forgiving heart. If you are not able to forgive, the first question you must ask is, do I know the grace and the mercy of God? Have I experienced God's forgiveness myself? That should be the first struggle that you and I must have. And ask, do I understand the ransom price paid by Jesus through his death? Again, John Stott says, once our eyes are open to see the greatness of our offense against God, the injuries others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. It is a sobering reality, but again, Jesus wants to disciple us and teach us and counsel us through this word today. Because the question is, how are you doing with forgiveness? Some of you I don't know all your story. Because we live in a broken and sinful world, 
we sin against each other, and we get hurt. And some of you have been deeply wounded and hurt. A close friend has betrayed you. Your colleague has backbited you. Family member has hurt you, and the hurt is deep. And this morning, the Lord is asking you, have you chosen to forgive? Are you willing to release the person to me, the Lord is asking? Again, the forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. But it's something that you can choose to do in your heart out of obedience and trusting God, out of the mercy that you have experienced in Christ. Again, it's, forgiveness is not cheap. It's hard. It's costly. In fact, sometimes it's almost feeling impossible. That's why unless we have experienced the power of the gospel, we cannot really fully forgive others. It's almost supernatural. It, it, the natural response that we have, we will have, is to retaliate and revenge. Again, ultimately, we are able to forgive because we have been forgiven by God. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do at the cross. And Jesus invites us to do the same. Some of, some of us may feel like this is, this is hard, hard message, because, Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through. Um, let me share a story, and we'll have a short video clip as we land. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, heard of this um, event or incident um, more than a decade ago, there was a shooting in the Amish town, um, and 10 girls were shot, and five um, the children were, uh, uh, were killed. And what shocked uh, the world was, was not what happened to the children, but the kind of response that the Amish people um, had towards the killer and the killer's family, the the forgiveness and the extension of the, the compassion they had towards the family. So we wanna, I want to share a short clip as we land our message this morning. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in South Central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glor tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. 
And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. That could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So we see here a story of a church community that not only prays this prayer, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. They are living it out. And this morning, the Lord is challenging us and inviting us to do the same personally, but also as a community. What a beautiful community it will be. If we do that, if we practice forgiveness to one another in our church family, in our homes, in our missions, and that's how we glorify God that's how the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. That's how the will of God is done on earth through us and in us. So let's pray together.